Amen. We're just giving them a little time to situate. Praise God. Praise God. If you have your Bible, I'm going to start. I'm going to read a verse in Exodus chapter 29, and then we'll go further from there. But I I just want to take a little bit of time today and let the Lord try to share some things that I know he's been speaking to me. Trust in the Lord today. Exodus chapter 29 and verse 44. I talked a little bit, I think it was last week, the Sundays and Tuesdays run together sometimes, but we talked a little bit last time about the role of a prophet, anybody remember that, the prophet, the one that speaks the word of God, and uh, I, I had mentioned there uh, that I, had, I, I remember a man of God saying this uh, about the, the difference, I guess you could call it in the role of a priest and the role of a prophet. And essentially, the way that he summed it up, he said that a priest brings the word of the people to God and a prophet brings the word of God to the people. Now, there is no, there is no competition in the kingdom of God as far as which one's better which one is which one receives more glory which one is what i want to be if i could choose one or you know anything like that and uh if we're not careful even sometimes in our conversation and even in ministry and, and in speaking we will almost sound like we are putting more emphasis on one and, instead of the other now i did say and i stand by this last time we spoke the most important thing that you can do as a Christian, as a person, as a human being, the most important thing that you can do is learn to hear the voice of God. Learn to hear his voice. When you're a prophet, when you are used as such, it starts there. It doesn't start with, let me find somebody that I can speak a word of God to. Oh, I found somebody. All right. Now, what's the word? doesn't start that way. No, it starts with hearing the voice of God. And you know what? The voice of God might say, I don't have anything for you to say right now. So, so hearing the, the voice of God is the primary focus. Somebody say amen. Hearing his voice. He used prophets, especially in, in the Old Testament, but he still does today, to speak his word. So that's how we see prophets fulfilling their, their role in, in that call. I want to talk today, though, about our priest. And I say that in a singular term, our priest. Everybody say one. One priest. We, our congregation here, does not label so-and-so as a priest, and that's another priest, and that's another priest. And we don't have something that you might refer to in other settings as a priesthood. 
That's just not the way that we see it play out in the scripture for our modern day church, and it's not the way that we do it. But we have a priest. So Exodus chapter 29 and verse 44. This is where we see the establishing of the role of the priesthood specifically for the children of Israel. Now there there is a reason why that is significant. All people on the earth were not a part of this group at the time that we're reading this in Exodus, right? I mean, if you think about it, Exodus, the main theme of Exodus is God calling his people away from another group of people, right? So this priesthood thing is established for that group of people. So he says in Exodus 29, verse 44, And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation. What's taking place here is the Lord is having a conversation with Moses. This is after the Exodus. They've left Egypt. And now they are trying to become established as a nation, these Israelites. So the Lord is helping Moses with some rules, with some guidelines. Why don't they just say, well, we already had rules and guidelines in Egypt, so we know how to operate. We don't need more. We don't need a different structure. Yeah, I don't think I ever even really stop and think about that too much. We, as children of God, and as a congregation, as his church, as his body, sometimes we take things for granted and just say, well, this is just how it's always been. This is just the way that we do things. And we don't even stop to consider, did anybody do something different? And is this the way that the Lord actually told us to do it? So the Lord pulled that group of people out of Egypt and then started to give them this thing that we call the law. This thing that's called the, the, it's, it's a list of, rules for how you're supposed to live and how you govern. Moses, I don't know that many of us would raise our hand and say, I volunteered to take Moses's place back in those days. Okay, all you got to do is be responsible for a few million people that have no rules. Good luck. So, see, the Lord had to set some things in place and establish some protocols, if you will. Now, many of those things trickle down to today, even in 2021. That doesn't sound quite right yet, does it? 2021. Thank the Lord it's not 2020. But many of these things that the Lord started with the Israelites, we still look around and we see elements of it in the body of Christ today. And that, as much as anything, should be a pretty clear indicator as to why we are different. Why we are at least somewhat different than the rest of the world. The church is the term. Church means called out, called away from. So you got that whole group and then you got this group. You can't say they're identical or they'd just all be the same group. Right? So part of this conversation that the Lord's having with with Moses is establishing the roles of the priesthood. 
I will sanctify, and he even says at the tabernacle, we're not going to go there today, but he gives him all these lists of rules. I want a house. I want a, a place, a physical location that my spirit can rest, that my presence can dwell. And he, he, he spends a lot of time telling Moses the specifics of it. He says, I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. That means I will sanctify the altar too. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. I have a, I have a question for you. I'll, I'll admit it's kind of a trick question. Who was the first priest in the Bible that, that ministered in the role of a priest to other humans? That's the way I would phrase that. Now, we'll, we'll get there. But I'm, I'm, I'm the first one to admit a lot of times I think of it as Aaron. Well, if the question is who was the first priest to these Israelites, yes, we see it right here. The Lord is saying, I'm going to choose Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. The Lord didn't decide to create a position called a priest simply because he had this group of people and they needed to do things. There was already a priest's office before there was an Aaron. There was already a priest's office before there was a Moses, before there was a tribe called Israel. Okay? The priest's office already existed. Everybody say it already existed. And he just decides, I need some men to play this role to fill, fulfill these duties of this office. I'm choosing Aaron and his sons. We often call them Levites. In this context, with the children of Israel, it had to be a Levite that was ministering to the Lord in the priest's office. That's just the way he chose it. Levi, remember, was one of 12 sons of Jacob, who's also known as Israel. So you list all those sons and you get one of them is Levi. And I don't know what's special about Levi, but the Lord said, I want to use his descendants to minister in the role of a priest. Now you got these other sons and they have descendants and they, they minister in other roles. But the priest role was given to Levi and his descendants, the first of which is Aaron. Okay? Everybody with me so far? Amen. Now, look into the book of Hebrews, if you will. This is where the Lord's been talking to me from, is the book of Hebrews. And I'll tell you what, if we had the time... We could, uh, we could go through a lot of Hebrews, but I'm, I'm going to try to condense this for us today. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. That'll be an easy one for you to remember, 7-11. Hebrews 7-11. We're talking about the priesthood, talking about the role of the priest. Now, in the tabernacle, what the priest did 
And I, again, I'm trying to get through this part quickly. But in the tabernacle, back there in Exodus, in those old days, only certain people could go into certain rooms of the tabernacle and do certain things. See, the Lord said, I need somebody to come light this lamp. I need somebody to come set this table of bread on this altar here. And I need somebody that will walk over here and pick this up and move it over. The Lord just decides, I, knew, I, wanna, I want to operate this way. But only certain people can do it. The priests. And part of it is taking the blood of a sacrifice on an altar and taking it into that tabernacle and moving the blood from this place to this place and making sure it covers this and touches that. So they had these lists of, you know, protocol. You got to follow this and do it this way. And only the priest, everyone say only the priest, only the priests could do that. Hebrews 7, verse 11. If therefore perfection were, made, were by the Levitical priesthood, what that means is if the Levites were perfect. If the priest could be perfect, for under it the people received the law. Under what? Under the Levitical priesthood. What further need was there for another priest should, that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek? Now everybody say Melchizedek. That's the answer to the trick question. Congratulations, Brother Vance. You knew it. Anybody else know that? Yeah, a few of you. The first priest that ministered in the office of a priest to another human being on this earth was not Aaron. It was Melchizedek. Now, who did he minister to? That's it. Anybody remember that one? Abraham. Abraham had just gone out and fought a battle under the leading and direction of the Lord. See, we, we rewind it. If, if, if you're trying to follow all this on the timeline... We started in Exodus, then we jumped all the way forward, and now we're jumping further back in Exodus. Abraham. So Abraham, right, had many sons. One of them was Israel, and you follow that down. So, and then, you know, where Moses is, Moses is after the, all those tribes of the Levites, right? Down, down, down. Now go back up to Abraham, and you see that he fights this battle against these kings, and he wins it. And then this priest. This almost guy out of nowhere is what it sounds like. If you read through Hebrews 7, you'll see the entire uh, setting here. But he shows up and he blesses Abraham after Abraham wins this battle. And he's called Melchizedek. It says it, I think, in 7.1 that he's the king of Salem. Not Salem, Oregon. But he's the king of Salem, Oregon, and it says his name means king of righteousness and king of peace. And then it also says that he is a type of Christ. He's really a type of, of God, Melchizedek is. Who's the king? God is. Who's the king of righteousness? God is. Who's the king of peace? God is. And Melchizedek 
performing his role in this, performing his duties in this role, serves Abraham as a priest in the form of God. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here is, if the Levites, if those Israelite priests could perform their duties to perfection, why would there be another type of priest? Why would there be a priest after the order of Melchizedek? Okay, it's not talking about Melchizedek. Why was there another guy named Melchizedek? No, he, he did his thing back in the day. But it says, why would another priest arise after the order, order of Melchizedek? Another priest. So, now, I'm going to give you a, a little, what do they call that when you ruin the plot? Spoiler. I'm going to give you a little spoiler for Hebrews. Almost the entire book of Hebrews is trying to prove, I shouldn't say trying to, it is proving, it's explaining, that Jesus Christ was sent to the earth. It, it, okay, it's written after the death of Jesus, right? It's in the New Testament. Jesus has already lived, been crucified, died, rose again, and gone to heaven. So now he's writing and recapping what was the significance of, of that, of Jesus Christ coming to the earth and doing these things. And so he's saying, remember all the way back to the Levitical priesthood and what they were doing. If they were perfect and if they could do everything that they needed to do, why would we need to have another priest? But not after them, not in their bloodline, after the order of Melchizedek. Why? Jump down to verse 14. Chapter 7, verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. Judah was a brother of Levi. So he's pointing back to this earthly bloodline just to take a minute and say he was not a Levitical priest. Right? It's evident that our Lord speaking of Jesus Christ, didn't come out of that Levitical priesthood. He came out of Judah. Judah's a brother. He traces all this bloodline and history back to, to, to Israel. But they came from different brothers. He's simply saying Jesus Christ was not another one of those Levitical priests. Everybody say Amen. For it's evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Moses did not say, oh yeah, and Judah can fill in, you know, substitutes a priest when Levi's not available. He didn't say anything like that. Nothing about the priesthood connected to Judah. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. Again, I'm not taking, I, I, could, I, I could, you know, I could keep you here all day uh, talking about, just trying to explain who, we don't talk about Melchizedek very much. So this chapter does, and I'm just trying to give you the highlights. He had no father, no mother. It's a, no recorded father and mother. Had no siblings. The Bible doesn't say anything about his death or his birth. Now, 
The Bible says that the Bible does not say anything. It takes the time to, to say all this about this, you know, what can we call him, Big M? He just showed up on the scene, and he was a priest, and he ministered, and then he was gone. Never heard of again. And it says there arose another one just like that. That's Jesus. Who is made, verse 16, not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Forever. Everyone say forever. Verse 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he liveth, he ever liveth, to make intercession for them. What the priest used to do is something called making intercession for the person. Brother Clyde, can I use you for a second? He can only come so far. You got to stop right here. That's the entrance to the tabernacle. Now, give me your needs. That wasn't much. Come on, you got more needs than that. All right. I now, as the priest, have the needs of this man. And what am I going to do with him? I'm not going to put him here. I'm not just going to. I'm going to take him to the place that only I can go because he can't go there. Because he's not a priest. I am. I can do this. And I go and I do the things that the priest is supposed to do for him. What I am doing, we don't use this term very much, but I am making intercession for his needs. You know what else I can't do? Oh, man, that's a lot of needs. I'm going to be here a while. Uh, Give me like three weeks. And then I'm only on the clock for one week. Do a little bit, get through it. Okay, my shift's over. Next priest come in pick up. No, it doesn't work that way. Whatever he gives me, I have to see them through as the priest. And then I have to take them until they are covered, till I do this step and this step and that one and that one and that one, till they are covered. Then I come out. Who was it that told me he keeps the receipt? Was that, that was Brother Troy? He keeps the receipt. Here's your receipt. There you go. Go ahead. Thank you. We'll see you in, in, next week. And now I made intercession for him. And his needs or his sin, his, all that is covered by what we just did. The, the, the trouble is, how long am I going to live? Oh, yeah, I've got a couple of sons. You're going to have a couple of kids. How long are they going to live? And then they'll have some. And how, how, how long are they going to live? This is not a very efficient method of covering sins. Especially, it's not even a method of remitting sins and forgiving sins to wipe them away no more. It's just, 
burying it, covering it under more and more sheep's blood. Sorry for that reference. But that's all that it's doing. Cover it some more. Cover it some more. It's symbolic, okay? The blood was real. The animal was real. All that, The tabernacle really had the, the walls and the floor and the ceiling. It had all that. But it symbolized the spiritual act of covering the sins. I, as the priest, don't have a magic wand. Okay, no more sins. They're gone. They're just staying there, piling up. And then, you know what? One day, that man's going to die. And then one day, the priest is going to die. I can't keep doing this forever and ever and ever. That's why it says, he liveth forever. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Jesus, now, he, he was the sacrifice. He was the lamb slain. So he was the sacrifice. And then he became the priest to take the blood of the sacrifice and to cover those things. And then he didn't just die and, all right, your sins are rolled forward. You know, the first thing, I, I say first, I don't, talk about, I don't know if it's order of importance or order of events, but because of the order of time, the first thing that happened when Jesus died was not mine and your sins being forgiven and rolled away and covered and all that. It was that guy that came to the Levite priest and that one and that one and all those sins that were put under blood to be rolled forward, to be rolled forward. There's a pile of them. I, I can imagine in my spirit Jesus looking there on the cross and thinking that's the pile it's not just fast forward 2,000 years and there's going to be these guys and those more. It's all these that have died before that have been rolled forward up to this point. They no longer have to have a sacrifice. They don't have to do that one more time. Imagine you know nothing about the, the crucifixion that's taken place. You know, maybe, you're, maybe you're, your shift was to go to the temple on the Friday, Friday, and, and you got your sheep, <laughs> and you're just walking like, here we go again. I'm going to have to kill another one. And then through God's timing, on a hill, somewhere else, was this man, Jesus Christ, that was hanging and dying. And you know what? That little sheep, he got to live. It was no longer required for him to be killed. What sense would it make if he went there? Oh, let's just go ahead and kill him anyways. I, I already wrote this one off the books. No, it's, it's no longer required. Get that. It really happened in a point in time where last week I killed a sheep. 
This week, I don't have to anymore. And those that were alive on that earth at that point forward no longer had to do that. That's what you call a change in dispensation, a change in the timing and the order of things. Now, some of us are going to be alive when the next dispensation changes. I believe that with all my heart. Looking at the timing and the seasons of what's taking place, and the Lord is saying, you're not going to be on this earth forever. My church is going to be called away. And that dispensation, where we're living right now, what do we have to do to be saved? We have to repent of our sins. That means we change. We, cover, we, we, we go to God and say, I've been living this way. I've been doing these things. I know that they are sinful. I know it's something that you don't want me to do. But I did it. But you know what? I'm repenting of it. Meaning I'm not going to do it again. I'm changing. That's the first step. The second step, we get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. You know your sins aren't remitted when you repent. If I just, I'm not a really smart person, but if I just follow the order of what the scripture says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Say it with me. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you for the remission of sins. Now, I can't just repent. And all right, I repented, skipped over that one, and I received the remission of sins. It doesn't work that way. Repent and be baptized. And then the scripture says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When when you've gone through that, And then you claim that, you live that, you follow that. It's not just, yep, happened to me in 84. All right, now I've been a wretched person ever since. But I did it, 84, so I'm just waiting for that day. No, you live it, you walk in it. That's what the scripture says, arise and walk in newness of life. Now, when you have done those things, And whatever point in the future, whether you pass away or you're alive, like I said, when this next dispensation changes and the Lord is calling away his church, his people, those that have done the thing that I just said. Your time has changed. We won't be coming here anymore. Will we? My wife won't be playing her lovely songs and singing and leading us into worship. And, oh, yeah, and that's great. You know, and then we get to kneel at the altar and pray or we get to fellowship with one another. That's not going to happen anymore. It will not happen. Now, I won't be surprised if there's some people that the Lord doesn't call away. Oh, do I really have to go there? I won't be surprised if there are some people that the Lord doesn't call away 
and they see all the things that have happened, and then they say, okay, now it's Sunday, 11 o'clock. What are we supposed to do? Well, we go to church. Okay, let's get in the car and go. The dispensation has, that makes as much sense as leading the sheep on the Friday when Jesus died and then saying, okay, yeah, he did that and things have changed, but I'm still going to go ahead and do with, you know, my sacrifice the way that I'm comfortable doing it. It, it, It's the same thing. It doesn't translate. Verse 25, Hebrews 7, 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy. Such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily. Man, this is not something you're going to preach at a preacher's convention to a bunch of other preachers because of this verse right here. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice. First for his own sins, and then for the people's. Jesus couldn't die twice on the cross. First for himself, and then for others. Right? That's not logical. It doesn't work that way. It couldn't work that way. The only way that his death on the cross became meaningful was that he did not have his own sins to die for. First for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did not, for, for this he did once. Everyone say once. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. Everyone say that word infirmity. The law. The Levitical priesthood. It wasn't some perfect tribe of Levi that said, okay, I, I got to use these guys because they don't have any problems. No, the law. It, he spells it out all the way back then. Uses priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. Now, I'm almost done. Jump back to to Hebrews chapter 4. I got a lot more, but I'm going to skip it. I want you to see this part. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Remember I told you I'm talking about the one priest. The role, the office that he did. Seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Where'd he go? He went up there. He's passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast 
our profession. Next verse. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I heard, I heard one preacher say it this way. We got, we're speaking English, and in English you're not supposed to use a, what they call a double negative. That's a, a can't and a don't. Or a won't and a shall not. You don't use two, both of those in the same sentence. I won't not eat this cake. I won't not do it. Well, when you have a double, the rule in English is when you have a double negative, you take them both out, and the sentence is still true. You take out the won't not eat this cake, and I will eat this cake. That's true. Now, we take out, if we take out both of these, the double negative here, this is how it reads. For we have an high priest which can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We have a high priest. He can be touched with the feeling. Touched with the feeling. That, what does that mean? It means he sympathizes with you. Not like, oh, you poor guy, you poor girl. No, he knows what you're going through because he went through it as well. Watch this, though. He was in all points tempted like as we are. You know the one thing he can't sympathize with? The one thing he can't sympathize with is the, the sin. Because he was at all points tempted. He can sympathize with the all points tempted. But the, here's the way I'll say it. Giving in to the sin. He, he, he who knew no sin became sin. So he knew it. He became it. He experienced what, okay, he experienced what it was like to be sinful. He did not experience what it was like to sin. There's a difference. But he was in all points tempted that all points, what does that mean? Well, if you want to get technical, how many of you want to get technical? I'm not going to ask that. The Greek, all points, all is pos, and that means all things. But it means all things individually, and it means all things collectively. So you name me one temptation of yours, one, single one, each one, yes, he knows what it's like to be tempted with that. And then you, if you want to bring me your whole life and say, well, I got this one and this one and this one and this one and this one, all these temptations, he knows the collective. He was in all points, collectively and individually, I'm going to use this word, tested. Because that's what it means, tempted. It is... We, we use the word tempted, if, uh, if you will allow me. We use the word tempted, and we automatically go into a negative connotation, and we think of it tempted like, oh, the devil's out there, and he's got all these traps for me, and he's trying to lure me 
Like, yeah, I'm going to get you. Yeah, you know, that's what, we, that's what we think of tempted. And so we then, it, that's the problem. If I think of it tempted it that way, then I have to say, well, Jesus must have tiptoed like I have to do and not do this sin. Oh, and he's going to get me if I'm not careful on this one because he's tempted like, no, no. He was tested just like you are. He was tested just like me. When it says yet without sin, it means he simply passed every test. And this test comes and nope, get behind me, Satan. And this test comes. Nope, I'm going to defeat that one with the word of God. It's written. I'm not going to do this. Man will not do this. And then I get tested and it's, oh, 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 hang on. Uh, I need something to hold on to. Uh, I need to see if I can make it past this test. I need to see if I can get through this temptation, through this trial. And God watched thousands of years of that. He watched thousands of years of humanity trying, pleading, scared, that they might do one thing wrong. And then, you know what? They did it wrong. And now, not only did he watch them fail the test, now he's got to watch them put up with the guilt and the shame of it. That's what happened all the way back with Adam and Eve. They failed the test. But you know what? He didn't sit back. Ah, those people, they failed the test. I guess I'll just have to start over. I guess I can't be with them anymore. I guess I can't, you know, I just have to withdraw myself. Nope. They failed the test, and what did he do? Went looking for him. Adam, where are you? But the human says, no, no, I can't be with you anymore. I failed the test. I have shame, and I have guilt, and I can no longer be with you. And God even still didn't say, oh, yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. we got to figure out something. No, he says, who told you? I didn't tell you that. I never told you. You have to dispel. You have to. You first went to one another and then devised a plan. Or you just withdrew yourself. I wonder how many people, and this is not just us in the room, but it includes us. I wonder how many people, the very first time we experienced something like sin, and then how many times subsequently do we think, I have to stay away from God. I cannot go back to God because of what I did. Uh, you know what that is? That's the prodigal son. I am no longer worthy. How many? He, he, didn't go, he didn't go from the sin and run out of money and go straight back to the father, did he? No, he went down lower. He went down and wallowed. Or for my Hornwall family, he went down and wallowed. Because that's our tendency. I don't have, I, 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 you know, I messed up. I'm withdrawing. 
Can't get back there. And the Lord watched that same thing play over thousands of years. And he says, no more of this. No more of this. I am going to perform something that will allow this to stop. This cycle of sinning and guilt and shame and withdrawing and Lord, don't come look for me and I'm not going to look for you. But this is, this, is the, this is how much he loves you. How much he loves me. Even when we tell him, you know, I can't be with you. I'm not worthy. I, I, you know, you better just go find somebody else. You better go find somebody else. Because I can't do this. He hears it, but he walks right past it. And he says, I did this. I became sin for you. That we might be called the righteousness of God in him. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to read verse 15 again. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Because, let us therefore means because. Because we have this high priest. Because he knew no sin. Because he died for you. And because he can relate to every single feeling of testing and temptation and trial. Because he knows those things, let's go to him. Because he can feel the infirmity. He can feel the weakness. That's why I'm going to run to him. And I'm going to run. I'm going to find him. I'm going to boldly go to him. To the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy. I'm going to go to the throne of grace that I may obtain mercy. And find grace to help in the time of need. The time of need. Hear me. I'm almost done. The time of need is whenever that infirmity manifests itself. If I had no infirmity, I'd have no time of need. But in the time of need... I have that infirmity and it's starting to show. It's, I'm starting to feel this again and go through this again. What am I supposed to do? Go boldly before the throne of grace and obtain mercy. Find grace to help. Find grace to help. When you feel that infirmity, when it's manifesting itself, you know what? Okay, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I told you I'm almost done. 
You're not going to find yourself in a time of perfection. You're not going to experience a time when, oh, thank the Lord, I have no more weaknesses. I have no more problems. He took them all away from me. He'll take some stuff away from you. I promise you that. He'll do it today. But you're not, on this earth, you're not going to reach a time of perfection and a time of no more infirmity, a time of no more need. He's already experienced that too. He knows if I don't take away, if I take away everything, they're gone. They have no more need. So he's going to leave, even if it's just a little bit, he's going to leave enough so that I experience a time of need and I go back to him and I say, here I am again because I still have the infirmity. I still have the weakness. Not that I'm giving into it all the time, but I know it's there. And when I find it, when I experience, I'm going to go to what the scripture says, your throne. I'm going to go to your throne approach you in the time of need and you've already told me what I'm going to find I'm going to find grace to help come on the grace of the Lord is here right now I'm encouraging you to reach out to it right now would you respond if you want to come to the front and pray this altar is open but I am encouraging you to respond to the grace of God that he is extending right now this moment in the name of Jesus Lord I feel your grace Lord I feel your grace the help Lord the help that we need God it's my own infirmity that brought me here my own weakness Lord Jesus but you give grace Lord you give mercy you give it to cover the need father you give it to make up the need to make up the difference in the name of jesus in the name of jesus come on the grace of the lord is here the grace of the lord is here there is power chain, break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus.
fallen he said his grace would cover me his blood will flow freely it will provide the healing i'm running to the mercy seat are you living where hope has not been lost in the curse of a lifetime of sin lovely illusions they never come true I know where there's a place of mercy for you he said that you could come into his presence without fear Jesus. 
seed. Come on, the presence of the Lord is flowing in this place. The presence of the Lord is flowing. He wants to minister. He wants to minister as a high priest to you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes, do your work, Lord. Do your work, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. Accomplish your will, Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, he cut I know there's a place of He said that you could come into His presence without fear. Yes, Lord. Into the holy place where His mercy hovers near. Come running, come running, come running to the mercy seat where Jesus is calling. Said his grace would cover me, his blood will flow freely, it will provide the healing. Come right into the mercy seat. Amen. I want to tell you something. If you're praying, you can continue to pray, but I feel the Lord has shared this with me. If you have ever if you have ever experienced and witnessed a deeper place in God than what you are currently experiencing, 
Now, I don't know if that's today, if that's this week, this month, this last year. If you've ever experienced a deeper place than what you are currently experiencing, the Lord will take you back to that place and build upon it. If you've ever experienced a deeper place in God, I'm saying it again, I want you to hear me. If you've ever experienced a deeper place in God than what you are currently living in, the Lord will take you back to that place and build upon it. Jesus. Lord, we look to you right now, Father. You're the author. You're the author, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, it's you that helps. It's you that helps. God, it's your grace that helps. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just entertain the presence of the Lord here for a minute. Come on. Hallelujah, 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 oh Jesus, Lord it's your presence that we long for, it's your presence, it's your anointing that we long for, Jesus, nothing else in this world will do, nothing else in this world will do. I'm running to the mercy seat where Jesus is calling. He said his grace would cover me, his blood will flow freely. It will provide the healing. I'm running to the mercy. to you, his presence without fear, into the holy place where his mercy hovers near. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready to the mercy seat where Jesus is calling. His presence with 